Hey, buddy. What's up? Do you want to know what love is? Uh, I think I've got a jukebox hero. <laughs> they're hot it feels blooded. like the very first time we're talking with a front man, but it's not. We got Kelly Hansen today on the Music Universe podcast. And he's a long, long way from home. Okay, are we done? Are we done with the puns? I think it's urgent that we move on. Okay, okay, stop. <laughs> Am I playing head games with you? You dirty white boy. We're laughing because, and Dirty White Boy isn't exactly wrong, but uh, <laughs> another <laughs> show, another time, another time. This is why we need a radio show. We get too many tangents. <laughs> this is really, really cool. We we talk with uh, we talk with Kelly Hansen, who's for nearly twenty years been the lead singer of Foreigner, mm-hmm. and I don't know what it is about lead singers sort of jumping in. And a lot of these 80s bands replacing their lead singers. Toto did it a couple of times. Journey did it a few times. It just yeah. seems like there are very few bands that are that that have changed personnel but have never lost their soul, if that makes sense to oh, you. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, they just have an iconic list of hits and they just don't want to stop. So, you know, I think they just find someone else who can come in and take over so to speak and uh as you mentioned in the show become the guardian of become the guardian Mm -hmm. of those songs this is perhaps and i say this to kelly and thanking him but this is just to to get you ready for it perhaps the most candid front man we've ever had on this show yeah and that we've had multiple is a shock to little old me sitting at a at a card table in his parents house (laughs) in 2020 you know, interviewing, doing a million interviews, and now we've had front men from Kiss to to Foreigner to Kansas, and yeah. and I I think this is probably one of the most candid interviews, period, that we've ever done. And he talks about from the the state of somebody who yes, joined them in two thousand five, but remember he started so he's a contemporary of Foreigner, his band oh, yeah. Hurricane had moderate success in the eighties. Yes, so his mentality as you'll hear in the interview is very much in line with the rest of the band and the rest of the bands of that era yeah so um hurricane signed to enigma capital records during the late 80s and early 90s and Mm -hmm. uh, recorded three uh pretty critically acclaimed albums but did you know and something we didn't talk to kelly about was after hurricane disbanded he actually worked in a group with poison guitarist cc deville yeah yeah, and some of the folks from Quiet Riot, which yep. then led to Foreigner. Mm-hmm. I read the Wikipedia. <laughs> I'm not on Wikipedia, but yeah. But it, and I also toured as a vocal group arranger and backing vocalist as well. So, um, you know, it's yeah. been a great interview with Kelly. We go almost 25, 30 minutes with him. So um, you need to just sit down and uh, listen to this because it's full of insight and uh i'm excited um you know they're about to launch their historic farewell tour it's a two-year trek it kicks off july 6th in atlanta but they're actually doing a run of shows later this month march 24th through april 8th in las vegas and you're actually attending the final one of that yes and i can't wait i hope i get to say hi to kelly afterwards or before because i just i feel a kinship with him i think we have the same philosophy about live music i know you Mm -hmm. feel the same way so have a listen guys this is a good one kelly hansen with foreigner welcome to the music universe podcast how are you today sir 
I'm great. Thanks for having me. Lead singer since 05, 06. Oh, my 05. goodness. Uh, 05. Uh, tell us, for those that may not be familiar for our listeners, the story of how you ended up as uh, the lead singer of such an iconic band. Well, nearly 20 years ago, like you said, um, I was at a crossroads in my career. I, I had had uh, some success with my previous band, Hurricane, and you know, gained a lot of experience out of that work with great producers and great people and traveled, you know, around the country and uh, Japan and all, all kinds of places. But I had been working in production and songwriting and engineering and, and, uh, artist development because in 19, around 1990, my voice, which is a clean tenor voice was really not in favor with more of like the, I don't know if it's called the grunge era, but it was just, it was, it was an era where I knew that, that I wasn't going to get a lot of work. So I decided to sit it out and do other things in the business. But around, uh, around the two thousands, it started to get really frustrating because I wasn't getting the work that I wanted. And I started not getting called for things vocally that I would have normally been called for previously in my career. So I realized that my paradigm had changed and I needed to make a different approach. And I said to myself, you know what, you need to go back to doing what you do best being a lead singer. So I started saying to myself, I will be proactive. I will go out there. I won't say no. And I will look for stuff, you know, uh, proactively. So I went online and I found uh, out about this uh, charity show that Mick had done in Santa Barbara with a couple of the guys from the band. They called it Mick and Mick Jones and Friends. I didn't know if it was a new Mick Jones project or it was a foreigner thing. I wasn't really up on what foreigner was doing, but Lou had left for the second time in 2002. And the band had been dormant. And um, actually, Jason Bonham uh, was working uh, with talking to Mick and said, Mick, you need to get this band together and get out there and play these songs. And so um, so we got, we got Jeff Pilsen and, and the rest of the guys, and they were looking for a voice. And, and luckily, I was just looking for a, a band. And um, we happened to come together. And uh, they came to L.A. to rehearse, and I jammed with them for about an hour, hour and a half, and I remembered that distinctly. And then I came home, and an hour later, they called me, and they said, listen, we're doing shows this weekend. Can you start rehearsing tomorrow? And just took off like a rocket ship after that. Well, I was going to say, you get to perform all these iconic songs. What did that feel like, doing it for the first time, so to speak, and up to, up to now? Listen, as a rock tenor vocalist, this, this is a, a dream catalog of songs. Um, and when we play live, people are surprised that every song is a song they know. A lot of times after the show, people say, oh, I didn't know you did that one. I didn't know you did that one. And Because I think over time, over the course of four decades, sometimes the bands kind of blend together in your, in your mind. But um, it's, a, it's a wonderful catalog. It's a challenging catalog of songs. But um, you couldn't ask God or dream of a better catalog of songs to sing. And, and, uh, and it, took, it took a few months for me to feel comfortable singing them. But after this amount of time, I feel like I'm really inside these songs and I really understand them and the foreigner vibe and sound and everything. So, yeah. It's a testament, I think, to music, to the fact that these songs have the staying power and, and they may not... Like you said, the fans may not realize, oh, this is the band that's attached to it, but the music has traveled itself kind of through time and through space, and now you get to be 
the the guardian of that, and I think that's that's quite an awesome responsibility. I, I think you're right. Um, I I think that there's been a lot of song placements in movies and TV shows and commercials and um, that have brought a whole new audience to us in the last ten years, and that's been amazing. And and as always, my goal has been to present these songs as sin- sincerely as possible with uh, really taking into account that these are great songs and great melodies. And it's not my job to change these songs to prove that I can sing them in a different way. That's, that's not what that's about for me that I have my own personal views about that. I've always gone out and sung the melody and the lyrics, the way they are on the record. Pretty much. There's a few things that we, you know, uh, do live that are, are off the cuff and stuff, but, um, it is a responsibility because I want to go to a show and I want to hear songs the way I learned to love them on the radio. And so that's kind of how I approach doing those songs live. Yeah. And you guys just uh, recently announced your hyster- historic farewell tour. It kicks off July 6th. Why now? Well, you know, for almost 20 years, we've been on the road nine months a year, hitting it hard all over the world. And, um, and for me as a vocalist, it's, it's a, it's a 24 seven, uh, consciousness I have to have about taking care of my voice and getting to sleep early and not eating spicy food at night and not screaming and yelling. And, and it, it, it's a, it's a responsibility that doesn't end at 5 PM doesn't start at nine in the morning. You know, it's 24 hours and that's for months and months on end. Uh, even when I come home for a break, I really can't like quote, let go. Mm-hmm. I have to hang on to the the rules that I have in place to take care of my voice. And, um, and it gets a little bit harder every single year to sing this catalog of songs. They are really challenging. So, um, and I'm, ha- I'm having to give up something every year to maintain my status quo. And I, I don't want to be one of those guys that's out there and you go see a show and you go and you kind of leave going, wow, that was really disappointing. They, why are they still out there? And I'd rather us leave on a high when we're really strong. So the legacy and, and live memory of this band is, is very, very high. I think that's interesting that you're, you've, you said that word very challenging and without, you know, obviously without complaining, cause I know it's, it's awesome to be on stage. I'm curious as a fan of music and a fan of voices, if you wouldn't mind sharing, what are some of those challenges within the music and, and how have you personally overcome them? What do you do to get through those challenges? Well, the challenges are a lot, uh, is, is, is first of all, the range, um, uh, from, from the low end of the, of the, of my vocal, uh, timbre to the, to the high notes of songs like urgent and jukebox hero. They're at the very top of, any tenor rock vocalist range and, and they're hard to sing when you're 20. Um, so I have to be very conscious and use all of my experience and knowledge about how to use my voice and technique to be able to, uh, stretch my voice over the course of the whole show. Usually when you're, when you're building any kind of entertainment device, you're, you're looking to ebb and flow and have a climax of the show. And that's normally going to be the most difficult part of the show to sing. And, um, and so I have to, uh, hit those high notes. And that means I have to have enough breath. That means I have to, I can't run around too much, but I don't want to run around not enough. So I look really, you know, boring. So all of those things are in my head, not to mention, you know, trying to elevate the crowd and trying to be blocking on stage with where I'm supposed to be at certain parts of songs for lighting cues, et cetera. 
all of that stuff goes on in your head the whole show. And um, it's only part of it is the voice. But as you get older, it becomes even more of a focus because you got to make sure you warm up. You got to make sure you're taking care of yourself because these these don't get easier every year. Right. And I also like what you said because you um, you you guys are one of the few bands I, sh- I should say that still actually perform 100% live and I mean you guys could easily just say oh let's just play to a track let's lip sync whatever but you you guys want to go out while you're on top I love that I constantly hear about bands going out there with full-on tracks behind them and all kinds of stuff and it just really infuriates me as someone who has to work really, really hard to do it live. Amen. Yes. Amen. We talk about that all the time on this show. And sometimes if we do a TV show live, we won't sound as perfect as someone who has everything tracked. And Mm -hmm. so they'll get the benefit of sounding perfect, and we won't get any benefit for having doing it live, even though it's not as perfect. It's it's a, it's a, a weird conundrum. Um, but I, I'm, I'm old school and Mick Jones is old school. And the, the guys I play with are old school. We like, you shouldn't be out there doing it. If it's, if you're not doing it live, it's a cheat. And, but people are more and more accepting that the show is not live. And I, 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 it bewilders me. Right. I mean, it's not supposed to be a so-called perfect performance. It's supposed to have some realism to it. And that's you guys actually going out there singing live, performing with your instruments. That's the way it's meant to be. I totally agree. Yeah, I don't go to live for perfect. I don't know about today's audiences, but I don't go to live for perfect. I go to live to hear it live. You cannot, if I can get personal for, for a second, I saw over 77 shows last year. And the mileage I put on myself just to go hear that one band play that one song live that I grew up listening to. And I'm doing the same thing with Foreigner, by the way, coming out to to Vegas this year for the show on April 8th. And there's still plenty of tickets left at Ticketmaster.com if you haven't gotten your tickets. Check the link on TheMusicUniverse.com. I'm doing the same thing with Foreigner, coming out to hear those songs. And when it isn't live... And even the vocals aren't live, it, especially when the vocals aren't live. It, it's cheating. I would rather have somebody who's who's pitchy and a little off than somebody who's being a robot. So amen mm-hmm. for being willing to speak up about that, Kelly. Yes. Really awesome. It's, it's just, it's, I, think, I think that it's, um, it is a sign of the times, as, as is auto-tune and things like that. But that doesn't mean I have to agree. Um, I think that performance, entertainment, should be real in front of people and that's just it that's the bottom line for me oh absolutely man absolutely so when fans come out and see you uh whether it's in vegas or whether it's on this final tour what besides the hits should they expect well i mean it's, it is largely going to be the hits because um i mean the good problem that we have is too many hits and uh <laughs> so if you if we wanted to do a whole bunch of deep tracks that would be great for some of the fans but it means we'd have to leave out huge songs. So as I said, it's a, it's a good problem to have. Yeah, the night's just one big sing-along. Yeah, You know, and, 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 it, and it is like that oftentimes. And I remember, remember one time specifically that uh, the first time that, uh, what country was it? Um, it was somewhere in, in the Eastern Europe um, uh, we played. And we had never played it before in the history of the band. 
and they sang the whole show from beginning to end, and it was it was amazing. Oh wow, wow, that's that's amazing. It, again, it goes back to music being timeless, spaceless, nationless, and it just speaks to the soul. But I want to get back to you for a second, Kelly. Back to two thousand five when you joined the band. I, I've been. This is a question we had the 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 quote unquote new lead singer of Kansas on. Uh, a while ago, and I didn't ask him this, but I always wonder when a new singer comes in to a band, those first couple of months, couple of years, how does it, how did you, how were you received by the fans? Since you're being so candid with us, what were you expecting? And did that expectation match reality? And obviously almost 20 years on, you've been embraced, but those first couple of years, what was it like getting acquainted with the fan base? Well, I had to have a conversation with myself before I said yes to, to, to being the singer of this band. And I had to say, listen, you know, some people are going to accept you and some people aren't. Um, and there's not a right or wrong about that. Everyone has their own belief system and that's, you know, they're right. And um, so I knew that, that it was going to be a challenge for me and that I was going to have to deal with some, some flack. But the, the audience has been so gracious to me and mm-hmm. so welcoming to me and i think maybe they see that i'm i'm trying to be really genuine with this music and really trying to do it justice and and i and i think that they they can appreciate that and so um uh you know and even 20 years into this band people will still say negative stuff but you know thank god i don't listen to that (laughs) yeah you can't you just gotta look past it so right love it Given that it's your final tour, do you think uh, at, at this point that Foreigner will continue to perform, just not at this level? I mean, I know that there'll be some special events and things like that that we'll probably do, but this, this nine-month-a-year thing, um, yeah. at, at, at our age, um, it's uh, something that, I, that, that we're just phasing out. And, and, um, and don't get me wrong, I want to make it very, very clear that I and everybody in this band and in this organization are so incredibly grateful for the love and support of all of these fans over all these decades. You guys have always been there for us and um, it is not lost on us. And it is a big deal. And a lot of thought went into making this decision. But the reason we did this and made this decision is that, so we always give the fans the best that we have and the best, that we have has to be good enough. It can't be less than that. No, that's wonderful. It's amazing that there are bands, and this is why I think I like, I've gravitated towards classic rock in the shows that I cover for the music universe, is because your class of band, if I may say, and, and lump you in with the, the Journeys and the Totos and the Kansases, the, the bands that had the hits in a specific area, era still are very focused on exactly what you just said giving it the very best and not leaning on that technology to get them through and i think it's amazingly self-aware when you say okay guys let's give it our all and go out on top you know i think um we're the the last generation that had to really record really perform on record we had to all the special effects or the weird sounds or noises we all had to create from scratch. We didn't go to a, a keyboard patch and just press a key and there's a weird sound. Right. All the mm-hmm. stuff that you heard on all those records was real. And there was no pitch correction back then. There was 
it's like we had to do it for real. I think we're the last generation that ha- that had that. So when you grow up like that, um, I think that you have more of a tendency to say, this is how it should be done. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I have dates through uh, September 3rd. It's a two-year tour. Are we going to have some uh, global dates announced at some point? I hope so. We'll have to see how that goes. Um, we would love to be able to go to every place we've ever been. And I don't know if that's possible, but um, it, we'll see it, see how it goes. I mean, the state of the industry is always changing and uh, you try to roll with it. I mean, the business that it is now is so much different than it was 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's It's really a live situation now for a lot of bands. There's not any money to be made you know, uh, selling physical copies of records anymore. And, and the rate that an artist gets for streaming now is ridiculous. It's like (laughs) fractions of a penny on what used to be $10. And, um, so it's, it's all about live now. And and so we'll see how far we can, how much of the globe we can cover. It's a good transition into sort of the last topic I had for you, which is given that ecosystem and given sort of the restraints on creativity, once you're being creative and you want to put it out there and the ability to earn from it. What are your plans after the, the heavy touring with foreigner wraps up? Uh, well, I've been asked this question and, and I, I don't have a full answer for that. I know that first of all, I want to take a break and I want to spend time with my wife and family and, and, and talk about and figure out what our next chapter is. And if that includes me performing live music in some degree or not, or creating more music. I don't know. Um, I get really frustrated uh, about creating music for release because um, I'll give you an example. In 2009, we were on tour in the U S and in Europe. I was in the middle of uh, editing a a large uh, uh, DVD video for the band. And we spent the whole year writing and recording can't slow down. Any day that we had a day off, I would fly to New York to work with Mick and Marty Fredrickson, or Mick would fly to L.A. to work with me and Marty Fredrickson. And um, um, so 2009 almost killed me. And then on the day of its release, Can't Slow Down, it was available for free on peer-to-peer networks. Mm. And if you don't think that is disheartening and soul-destroying as an artist, you are wrong. That was just horribly depressing to see a year's worth of work just okay everyone gets it for free now and we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars and months and months of our time and mental energy and creative energy to do that and and people will easily dismiss that nowadays like ah music should be free and it's like well if if i came to your job and told you you had to work for free it would be a problem so that's how i feel about it yeah yeah no Um, 100%. 100%. Yeah. It's the end product of a ton of talent, time, work, blood, sweat, tears, 100%. Right. But but when you when you say that and and then you also mentioned how streaming is like for, you know, very few profits in that unless you, you know, you have the rights to it. Does that kind of strike you as not fair as well? Even if you have the rights to it, it's nothing now. It's nothing uh I'll give you a, a small example. I had a song that I had maybe 20% ownership of. And I got a statement and, and it got 42,000 plays in the time period of the statement. 
I received 42 cents. Wow. And I've heard stories about people with a million plays and they get like $2,000. That, that's not it, right. It, it, it's hard. It's just hard. It's especially hard to be a new artist now. And mm-hmm. you, it's almost like you have to conglomerate and put out a merch and, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a cologne and a line of clothes and be a conglomerate and not a musician. You know, I didn't start this business to be a media content creator. I'm, I'm a singer and a songwriter and yes, times change and all that, but I can, I have the choice to do whatever I want about that. And, um, I, I got really frustrated with social media saying I have to spend all of my private off time trying to come up with clever content to create followers for, for, I just, it's ridiculous to me. I want to sing songs on record and live and, and that's what I do. And, and, uh, it's, a it's, it's tougher for an older artist sometimes, uh, to grapple with how things are not like they, they used to be. Well, I'm with you. I think for bands like you guys, for older bands to use the word you used, the audience is older, so I think thankfully, the the and you can correct me if I'm wrong, the 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 lack of social media content because, like you said, that's not the focus. It doesn't necessarily affect ticket sales because that's not how your audience is traditionally used to finding you. Or am I wrong in in saying that? No, you're you're uh, you're partially right. Um, there has to be a presence. Um, because some of the audience is uh, younger or, or computer savvy or internet savvy. So you have to have a presence, but it's not as much of an issue for as, as, it, as, as it would be if you were a band of 20-year-olds. That, then it would be a huge issue. That's a shame that it, the industry has turned out yeah. to be like that, really, because, you know, like you said, you put th- hundreds of thousands of dollars into it, years of work, and pennies on the dollars is what your return is. Hey, listen. Listen, but I, you know, I'm smiling because I'm in a great band with a great catalog of songs with great people and players, great audiences. We get to go out there under these bright lights and share a really good time with fans. And there is really nothing better than that. I guess in every life there is a little bit of, you know, uh, phlegm, but uh, that doesn't make it a bad experience overall. Everything, everything is, is like I said, everything is all smiles here. That's wonderful. That's, That's awesome. wonderful. That's awesome. Well, Kelly Hansen, thank you for being probably the most candid frontman we've ever spoken with. Truly, this was fabulous. I cannot wait to see Foreigner at the Venetian Theater on April eighth. That is the specific starting in, date. Starting on March twenty, starting on March twenty fourth, going through April eighth. Yeah. Oh yes, it is a run of shows. It is a run of then, shows. So. And then also, you know, the, the the official farewell Live Nation tour with Loverboy starts on July sixth in Atlanta. During that tour with Live Nation, we're going to have local high school choirs or local youth choirs opening the show. Uh, and wow. and if they go to foreignerchoirs dot com, you can look and see if you can submit your choir to be one of the people that perform that night. The uh, the favorite band of the night will win a L1 PA system from Bose, which is our partner, and everybody gets a uh, monetary donation, and what we're trying to do is raise awareness about the lack of funding for school music programs. Oh, that's, that's, that's wonderful. Really cool. That's something we've been doing with the Grammy Music Foundation, Grammy Museum Foundation for 
more than 10 years uh, having choirs come and perform with us. They were on stage with us during I Want to Know What Love Is, but after COVID, we've had to kind of change of how we do it, but we did come up with a way for to still make it happen. So That's, That's awesome. Fantastic. Well, Kelly, this has uh, definitely been a pleasure. We appreciate you uh, chatting with us and uh, hope to see you out on that uh, farewell tour myself. Thank you guys so much. What was your favorite part of that interview? Well, like I said to you before we started here, when he went off on uh, on uh, tracking, I said, we're going to have a really good and candid back half of the interview. And oh, yeah. my favorite was when I, my favorite question that he answered was, you know, about the fan reception. Because if we ever get, and I hope to heaven we do, uh, not to make compare apples to oranges here, if we ever get Arnel Panetta on this show, lead singer of Journey, mm -hmm. I will ask him the same question. Because he was plucked from Manila, Philippines, Arnel was, and Manila in the Philippines, and brought over sounding exactly like Steve Perry, but at the same time not doing a Steve Perry impression. Right. And I would ask him that because I think, I think the band up to that point was so wrapped up in the Steve Perry identity that now I'm just going to say this and this is not a dig this even kind of harkens back to what Kelly was saying about social media overtaking importance in promotion Arnell excuse Journey has 240 some odd thousand we'll, we'll round we'll be round we'll say just over just north of 200,000 followers and I'm sure you're looking because you sit at the computer while we do these audio ones. I'm sure you're looking up uh, right now this on specific... Twitter. Twitter alone at the time of this recording, it's 273.7 thousand followers. So 273,700 followers. Arnell alone, 1.2 million. He's got more than Journey. He has more than the 1. band. 1.7 million now. Yes. Well, with he's been in the news for reasons that we don't like to go into because we're not right. gossips here. Right. But there has been some unavoidable drama around Journey. Everyone and I likely knows it. We have covered some of it, but it's just too right. much. We're to not going to covering. We're not going to. We're not going to speculate. It's just out there, and it is what it is. Right. They're suing each other into oblivion, and and Arnell has been caught in the crosshairs of this. But he has 1.7 million fans on Twitter. Journey has 242. What that translates to into ticket sales, I don't know. But here is someone who made the music his own, came in, sings it. It sounds classic, but it's Arnell. He brings energy to it. Foreigner, it's Kelly. He brings the Kelly energy to it. So when I asked him, what is it like to have stepped in to this iconic music, that was, and what, how have the fans picked up on it? That was important for me because I've been sort of, because I kind of kicked off the year with seeing Journey was the first big show I saw. Right. I've been in that headspace of bands that have replaced their lead singer and how does that work? And so that was really interesting to me to talk about. And what about you? What was your favorite part? I think I know what you're going to say. I love that, but I also liked hearing, or I was disheartened by it, but I also liked hearing what he revealed to be, you know, this amount of streams earned 
this mm-hmm. amount of money just because it shows you how much the industry has changed and we can gripe all we want about it. I do it all the time, but it's just nothing that we can do about it right now. And what that's I the disheartening know, part. It is very disheartening and I agree with that. But I also, you know me, I get more pensive and curious and I want to ask questions of the right people mm-hmm. because, okay, yes, let's set everything. Let's take everything individually here. And if you're still with us, thanks for listening. I think this is going to be a long outro because these are important topics that he brought up. Right. Let's set everything. Let's look at everything individually first. Their streaming will use 47,000 earns 47 cents. I wanted to ask, did the band earn 47 cents or did he as no. a member of the band? He earn said 47? he had a 20% share. So I, I took it as he had earned that much. Right. Well, still, that's that's still 20% of, you know, of something the size of a pea, not something the size of, right. you know, a wheelbarrow. So, okay, streaming has reduced revenue for artists in terms of music and the creative output. But has the access, and I think this is a question worth exploring, I'm not saying I have the answer and I'm not saying... It's, it negates the, the, the pithy amounts they get paid, but right. has the access to all different kinds of music, thus increased the economy of ticket sales and merchandise sales and brand buy-in for particular artists. Are people discovering Kansas on Spotify and Apple Music and buying tickets that wouldn't ordinarily discover Kansas if it were just... Or wouldn't bother to invest in Kansas if it were just CDs and records in their parents' basement. Right. And I don't know that the that the positives here outweigh the negatives. If if that is something that is happening, and to hear Kelly sort of say it, I would think the subtext is, no, you've taken away this this revenue source from us, which is record sales. Mm-hmm. But the, there's no upside because the music is more accessible, but people aren't coming more because they have more access to our music so i don't know in a technological age how you correct it because requiring what some of these acts in congress would want to require which i support the reality is would probably bankrupt your apple musics and your spotify's but if we don't have them how do we listen to music because nobody is going to carry around a walkman anymore so does it go back to the iTunes model, which I know for me, in a unique position as a music journalist, doesn't work for me. I know some people will think this is a sin, and but I'm an open and admitted Apple Music subscriber. I will not do Spotify. I think Spotify is the devil because for a lot of reasons, but I'm Apple Music. Mm-hmm. And it helps me because as a music journalist okay, I'm going to see this artist, I can listen to this music, I can pull this here because we're interviewing this, and it helps me. It's a tool for me that I use, okay? It it is not something that if I weren't in this, I would probably still buy full albums, and I know you buy full albums, and I do invest in Mm -hmm. the brands that I like. I go see Def Leppard, I buy a Def Leppard t-shirt. I go see Garth Brooks. I buy all of the merchandise. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) At the store in Ireland. And so this, that's where I am with it. But, but Kelly was absolutely right. And I want to say this, then I'll 
you know, let you speak because I don't have a tendency to over talk. Mm -hmm. But he mentioned artists that they create something, then they have to be a conglomerate of that creation. He's exactly right. Um, it's not that the weekend is a brand; it's that after hours and till dawn are a brand. Right. The after hours album has merch and aesthetic and a fashion sense to it. Till dawn with the creepy masks and the music videos. So he puts out uh, a song from Till Dawn and he has an aesthetic that goes with it and he creates a music video that goes with that aesthetic that then generates millions and millions of dollars off of YouTube ad revenue because it's getting viewed hundreds of millions of times. So that is the creator economy that we're in. It's not just music. It's branding not just around the band, but around the specific song. That is why Fancy Like got so popular because Applebee's could play along and yeah. Walker Hayes could sell t-shirts and the video on YouTube, the, the music video went really, really viral. It isn't just about the music anymore to earn that money off of the song. It's about what other content you can create around the song. How can you get people invested in the song almost as a lifestyle or the album almost as a lifestyle. It's very, very interesting. And yeah, very much. I don't know where that road leads. Yeah, I, I think it, who knows? Who knows where 10, 15 years from now, even five, where we'll be with that. For the Music Universe podcast, I'm Matt. And I'm Buddy. Thanks for listening. And be sure to check us out at themusicuniverse.com and uh, follow us on social media at The Music Uni and uh, subscribe right here at tmupod.com. Take care. Uh -huh.